Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Marianne Spear. No, you are not, madame. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot be a member of this babysitter's club. I'm Brenna, but I always wanted to be Stacy, but everybody always told me I was Marianne. Wait, is that why you didn't like Marianne? Yeah. Wow, Brenna. (laughs) Marianne is arguably the best character. She's so kind and nice and smart. (laughs) No, but I wanted to be cool like Stacy. I wanted to be cool and pretty like Stacy. That's all I wanted. So we're going to be digging into trauma is what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, man, you have no idea what you've opened up here, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we talking about? We're talking about the Babysitter's Club. And I did extra credit this week. (laughs) Oh, wow. I can see where your allegiance lies. (laughs) When it's a girl book series, you're all in. I am all in. This book series, no lie, listeners, it's significant, significantly important part of my childhood. I hadn't even thought about this in a million years, but there was this cool little bookstore in Brockville, Ontario called Thousand Islands Books, which is long since closed. So this isn't a plug. Right. <laughs> I used to go there. I'd get my allowance. I got $6 every two weeks for my allowance. And when I got my allowance, usually on Thursdays when my dad got paid, I'd get my allowance. So that Saturday, I'd con someone into taking me to the bookstore and Babysitter's Club books were two ninety five a piece. So with my $6 allowance, I could get you two could get books. Two. <laughs> yep, as long as somebody paid the tax for me. Right. <laughs> Sales tax. Usually I could scam my brother into giving me from his paper route money. But like I had all of these books. And just to confirm, this is a series that's kind of like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, right? Like there's a hundred of them. Yes, there's a hundred of them. Okay. There's more than a hundred of them, probably. I don't even know. And there's super specials and mysteries and super mysteries and portrait collections and the Friends Forever series and Babysitter's Little Sister and California Diaries and the kids in Miss Colvin's class and the graphic novel adaptations. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> See, this is interesting to me because I didn't have any exposure to this. As I mentioned last week, this is all new to me because mm-hmm. my sister never got into the she was very much a Sweet Valley High girl. And you were definitely one or the other. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So there's a firm line here. It's a pretty firm line. Yeah. I liked uh, Sweet Valley High books, but they were awfully boy crazy for me. Yes. And what I loved about Babysitter's Club was the focus on the friends. And I was not a kid with a lot of friends, Joe. So I really connected with the Babysitter's Club. I just, I felt like they were my pals and I knew everything about them. One of the things that I came to appreciate as someone who was really coming to this fresh was not just the emphasis on those female friendships, but also the fact that it felt very inclusive of a variety of different types of girls. Like you could see yourself in one of these girls, if not many of them. Yes, I always really appreciated that. I think for the time, I won't say that it's a perfect representation of diversity, but I think that for the time, Anne M. Martin was really making an effort in the early books to set up a world where different kinds of girls could find themselves in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can see the even more deliberate effort to do that in the adaptation that Netflix has just released, which of course is why we're covering this, because we just got a brand new television series, 10 episodes, it dropped on July 3rd. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, not the first time it's been adapted. Uh, we have a film from 1995, uh, and there was a short-lived TV series in 1990. So the books have come to screen in a number of iterations. And I did some extra credit work and checked <laughs> out the 1995 film. And I remember the TV series because I had it on VHS. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But this iteration for Netflix really nails it. Like, this is by far the best realization of these characters on screen and it i mean we'll talk about it in more detail but i just found this whole week delightful joe for really enjoying myself <laughs> this is brenna's best week ever and it that is. could literally be a title of a babysitter's club book. <laughs> oh honestly i really just enjoyed this um so i guess we should talk about what the books are about hey yes if you had to describe what babysitter's club is to somebody how would you describe it so it is a series that actually started, Joe, in 1986, hmm. which I didn't realize. I think of these as very firmly placed in the 90s. Yeah, they have a 90s feel to them, don't they? They do, but started in 86, so I would have been three when the books started being written. And the last, I think, true Babysitter's Club book, which is number 131, Ooh, okay. came out in 1999. Uh, and then that's just the straightforward series. There are a bunch of spinoffs as well. And Anna Martin wrote the first 36 books, I think. Uh, and the rest have been written by ghostwriters. Okay. So the books tell the story of a group of friends who have a babysitter's club. And Joe, you texted me when you started this off and you were like, what is it going to be? Like every book is a different babysitting adventure? And I was like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> Welcome to the party. It is and it isn't. And part of that was me being facetious, like, oh, what is the appeal of these books? <laughs> the more I got into it, the more I realized that there are carry through storylines. Mm -hmm. So each book is very clearly like, oh, Dawn goes to babysit for this terrible threesome of children who are just a nightmare. But there's also other things happening in the background that keeps the character development going. Because that was my big concern is I don't care to read about just babysitting. Mm -hmm. I needed to know that there was more to to these girls than their after school job. Yes. An important component of the series is that the girls age by one year. So they start the book series at 12 and they're 13 by the end of the series. It's a long year, it takes a decade and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but what's important about that is it's this important time of transition, right? It's like, yes. when will I be allowed to babysit until 10 p.m.? When will I be allowed to <sighs> wear lipstick? Deal and yep. date boys. And that transition from 12 to 13 is really an important coming of age time for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. So the club begins as Christy, Claudia, Marianne, and Stacy. It's Christy's idea to start a club where parents can call and find a bunch of qualified babysitters and have their needs met. They don't need to call around the whole town. Christy comes to this idea after seeing her mom panickedly trying to find uh, a babysitter. But what's more important are the friendships between the girls. Christy and Marianne have been best friends forever. Claudia is their much cooler neighbor friend who is starting to sort of drift away from them. And in part, the Babysitter's Club becomes like the glue that holds these girls together, even as they start to have different interests. Right. And then Stacy is the new girl. She's just moved to Stony Brook from New York. She's extremely sophisticated and cool. She's obviously the best mm. one. I wish that I was her. 
<laughs> She's got fancy jewelry. Right. But she only stays the quote unquote new girl for about 10 and a half seconds because then Dawn moves to town. Mm-hmm. And Dawn is the new new girl. Um, and those five girls make up the core of the Babysitter's Club. And, you know, we learn a lot about their lives in the background of their babysitting adventures. So we learn that Stacy has diabetes and her parents are like super weird about it. What the F? It took me forever to realize that she doesn't have type 1 diabetes. She has type 2 diabetes, which is far more severe and requires her to like really keep an eye on those sugar levels. Because I was like, what's the big deal? I know plenty of diabetics who just like can't drink pop. Why are her parents acting like mad people? Yeah. So other way around. She has type 1, not type 2. But Ah, thank you. Okay. Well, and the shame that her parents feel about her illness, mm-hmm. I find fascinating, like really that interesting. That to me was very much like a, that's the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Because nowadays it'd be like, okay, this is not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's even interesting in the series, uh, in the TV series, the transition to her having a pump and it being like mm-hmm. a much more part of herself. Claudia's parents are Japanese well she's Japanese her parents are Japanese she's raised mostly by her grandmother her parents work really hard her grandmother is sort of this really integral component of her life and Mm -hmm. the way Mimi invests in all the girls lives is you know another one of these through lines Christy and Dawn are both dealing with divorce Christy's dad is absent Dawn's dad is much more present but Dawn's mom and Marianne's dad are dating so like Yes, it's about the babysitting, but mostly it's about these very integrated relationships between these five girls. As the series Mm -hmm. progresses, we gain two junior members, Mallory and Jesse. They appear at the end of the TV series, so the TV series kind of takes us in that direction as well. And there's like alternate members, Logan Bruno, who Marianne has a crush on. (laughs) He's kind of fine in the books, and I'm sorry, but that child actor in the TV show is terrible. He is terrible. He really is genuinely terrible. Um, But I, uh, yeah, so, you know, the series tries to keep it fresh by introducing new characters and having sort of other backstories going on at the same time. But it is also a very formulaic series, sort of comfortingly so. Mm -hmm. The joke amongst my friends was always when we were kids that you read chapter one and two to find out what the issue is going to be in this. You skip chapter three because that's just where you learn all the characters' names and what they like over again. And then you get into the plot with chapter four. (laughs) Every time. I do love the idea that these books are run like a book mill. It's like, okay, here's the formula. Don't deviate from it. Everybody knows how it's supposed to go. Well, I'm looking at the list and like these books were coming out at a massive rate. So like by 1988, they're coming out monthly. Like there's a new book every single month. So that's just the main series. Like, that doesn't count the summer specials and the mysteries. So, yes, <laughs> it is a bill. I think what the books have in common that keeps young girl readers interested is this closeness of the friendship that does become like a surrogate friendship for sad bookish girls everywhere. Like, I don't think I'm the only person who had that experience. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm just picturing poor sad little Brenna <laughs> collecting all of these books and being like, you're my real friend. <laughs> I mean, 
yes. <laughs> <laughs> I say this as though my sister and I didn't go to my grandparents' cottage every summer and just hoard books like nobody's business because that was what you did. Like Particularly in the summer, I have such fond memories of just gathering beloved books in a field and just reading for hours on end. Oh, totally. I have very clear memories. When I saw the cover of Claudia and the Mean Janine from the library, mm -hmm. I had an immediate memory of taking that book in particular and my dog and going into the woods across the street from my parents' house in the summer and just like the dog and I sat under a tree and we read that book. Mm -hmm. It's like a Pavlovian effect, right? You just totally. take it back there immediately. And it's funny because I was looking on Wikipedia at like the whole massive list of books and things like there was a postcard book where it was just 30 postcards in a book. I had the postcard book. I sent those postcards when I used to go and visit my grandparents. I'd send them back to my, my poor parents. Like, here's a babysitter's club postcard. <laughs> this is super meaningful. Um, or like the trivia book. I had all of this. This was such a huge component of me connecting to books. I think part of it is that my family is really bookish and there were always books around but the babysitters club was the first set of books that I found myself in the school library and like they were mine and my parents kind of they would never have stopped me from reading anything but I very distinctly remember having these conversations with my parents where it was like I would get home from the bookstore on Saturday I would have just bought two and my dad would be like you cannot read them both today Yes. These have to last you a week. Yeah. And I'd be mm -hmm. like, okay, and they'd be done by Sunday, <laughs> you oh, know? Of course. And then you'd reread them three other times throughout the week. Exactly. But like the sort of nature of them being, oh, there was no such thing as forbidden books in my house. But I think my parents were definitely like, those are kind of garbage. Like, <laughs> you could read something better. Oh, but, but they're such, they come across as such a gateway book, yes. right? Yes. This is why you get hooked on reading, because there's constantly new content coming out. Mm -hmm. It's so G-rated and like family-friendly that nobody's family is going to have a problem because it's all morality lessons. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and being responsible, right? Yes. I read Christy's Great Idea, Truth About Stacy, Marianne Saves the Day, Christy's Big Day, Claudia and the Mean Janine. Mm -hmm. I read those ones for today and holy cow is the lesson in every single one be responsible yes yeah and open communications yeah if you're not talking to somebody then you're probably doing it wrong yep tell the truth be kind to your friends and be responsible yeah friends above all else mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean i found these surprisingly enjoyable yeah even you did as a nearly 40 year old <laughs> adult man yeah you did because they're great there's just something so comforting about yes. these. Like, you open it up, it's the fastest read imaginable. Like, yes. you're through it in a half an hour, and you're just thinking, oh, okay, well, if there were five more, sure, I'd probably just <laughs> gobble them up. Why not? Yes. And they're charming, right? There's a level at which they are really charming. Like, you don't run into the R word. Right? There are certainly places where the books are very middle class. Mm-hmm. And whiteness, I think, is still central in this series. But yeah. God, for 1986, I just kind of want to go and hug Anna Martin. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like between this and our discussion, you know, like a month back on the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, I've really gotten some good insight into the books that shaped you and probably a lot of middle class <laughs> white girls. Yes, it's very true. It's very true. 
And, you know, the books are very heteronormative. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. an aspect of the times in which yes. they were written. You sent me a text and you were like, uh, I think Christy's queer. And I was like, uh, obviously. Yeah. It's not just the fact that she constantly wears a hat. <laughs> that's a good tip off. But the fact that she is unabashedly uninterested in boys yep. in every sense. Like, it's not just that she wants to be close to her female friends all the time. Like, there's a lot of mitigating factors. The fact that she has been a little bit late to the period club, Mm -hmm. unlike the other girls. So she maybe hasn't had a sexual awakening in the way that the other girls have. But Mm -hmm. when you contrast Stacy's maturation and what happens when she and Marianne go off for that weekend of babysitting the pikes and she falls in love with the lifeguard. Yep. We don't ever get that story for Christy. No, we don't. Claudia and Stacy are interested in every boy. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Marianne mm-hmm. is obsessed, obsessed with Logan Bruno. Yeah. Christy doesn't have that. And she's bored of it with the other girls, which is a dynamic that I have always really loved. It's not just that she's like, oh, I wish there was a boy I was interested in. It's like, why are you wasting all that time on boys when we could be playing sports and starting companies? Like, what is the matter with you? Oh, yeah. I definitely spent a little bit of time imagining a future in which Christy becomes a multi-millionaire CEO bad boss lady. Yeah. Because she is laser focused on getting this club off the ground, being as efficient as possible, and making them dollars. Yep. (laughs) You know, it's worth noting, so... Anne M. Martin went to Smith College, which is an all-women's college, uh, and she talks a lot about that time of her life as centering her feminism, but also making her recognize that what she wanted to focus her attention on was stories for and about girls, and for and about girls who were driven and interesting and had ideas of their own and disagreed which I love. Right, uh, it's of course. also worth noting that she didn't disclose it until 2016, but Anna Martin is herself queer and she was in a relationship for a long time with Laura Godwin, who still is her partner, I believe. They wrote books together. Okay. In her bio, she says that she lives in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York where she enjoys nature and fostering kittens. <laughs> Hmm. I not love a bad her. life. It's not a bad <laughs> life. I love her. But I think it's worth thinking about how... Christy is basically a reflection of the author. Yeah, and how a lot of what Christy does to challenge the norms in the books is a real queering of her own community, right? Mm-hmm. She forces the girls to think beyond the boys in their class, right? She's the one who drives them to challenge themselves in really interesting ways. And and I love her. I mean, uh, I will confess that I had a polarizing reaction to both the Christie in the books as well as the Christie in the TV show. And I think part of that is just her gender non-conformativity. Mm-hmm. Conformativity? Uh, no. Her gender non-conformity. There you go. There we go. Is contrary to the traditional depiction of what is acceptable for teen girls. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's a bit of a brat. She is a total brat. But she's so unusual. Mm -hmm. What we get a lot of in these types of books and in TV and movies is we get a lot of Stacey's. And so when a Christy comes along, you realize, oh, wow, this is unfamiliar and sometimes a little off-putting. She's bossy and brassy. And Mm -hmm. 
She's a little Anna Green Gables-y. Yeah, she is a little bit. And she's not willing to change, right? Like, if she knows something is right, that's it. And if she thinks something is right, even when she's wrong, that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> for better or for worse, right? So sometimes she is an infuriating character, but she's also such a complex and interesting character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So what do we think of the other girls? So you like Stacy. I made a weird confession that I thought that the way Stacy was written, that she was black because she's so worldly and knowledgeable and she talks a lot about culture. And just in my mind, even though I saw the covers of all these books and I was like, there is no black girl. (laughs) There is eventually, Jesse. But yes, not at the beginning. Yeah. And it was almost shocking to me particularly when I watched the TV show and I was like, why is Stacy so white? I don't like it. <laughs> it surprised me only because I grew up with these books and I grew up wanting to be blonde, worldly, mm-hmm. city-fied Stacy, right? Not mousy, brown-haired, grew up in the country, Brenna. <laughs> like in the books, Dawn is the kind of all-American California girl, but right. There's something about there's something about Stacy. Oh. <laughs> and she is she is framed around blondness in the book so i yes. was surprised the other thing about stacy by the way is that she and i have the same birthday oh wow i see yeah. mm-hmm. okay so <laughs> i was born on the same day as her why can't i be like her can't i be like her the thing i like about stacy is that she uh screws up a lot in the series she does. yes Part of it is her boy craziness, right? Like there's one point in the series where she actually, she has a boyfriend who makes her choose between him and the club and she chooses him. (gasps) Stacy. I know. You know, she has this history with these friends in New York who have been really horrible to her. Mm -hmm. Her desire to hang with the popular kids means that she often makes bad choices. I see. Okay. And I, I don't know. There's something honest. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, about her, the fact that she doesn't always make the right choice. Like, Marianne is good. She's so good. She's so safe, though. She's sometimes frustratingly good, right? (laughs) And Anna Martin has said that she is the most like Marianne of the characters. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, which is interesting because most critics read Christy as being much more like her. But she says that she had a very sheltered childhood and she was limited in what she was allowed to do. And so she really related to Marianne's, the limitations that are imposed on Marianne. Mm -hmm. I really like how Richard, her father, is rewritten in the TV series, I have to say, because I find him too... It's too much. It's too much in the books. Yeah. To the point where you start to think, do we need to involve some other adults in this? Because it's starting to seem like he might be locking up his daughter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of that is because it's from her perspective. But the other side of it is that it's, yeah, it's just too much. (laughs) So that to me made her less a character I could connect to. I always knew from the time I started reading these books that Claudia was too cool for me and would not ever have hung out with me. (laughs) (laughs) I found, I mean, I know I said that Christy is frustrating, but I found my relationship to Claudia was the most frustrating because I felt like she is the character we get the least of. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that she has a relationship with Mimi. I know that her parents expect big things of her and there's a cultural element there. And I know that Janine is kind of a human computer or rather a computer wearing human skin. And that's all I really got from her. There's just nothing else there. It's like she likes art. Got it. I believe that she's eventually diagnosed as dyslexic. Eh, Okay. 
that definitely comes in a later book and I'm not sure how much of sort of my understanding of her character from those books like gets backfilled into these early books Hmm. but I agree with you because I want more of her I love her outfits I love how creative she is I love her secret junk food stash which I was always very jealous of it's very hilarious it's a good recurring gag my mom was like drug sniffing enforcement when it came to junk food like she knew if I was stashing stuff in my room and I grew up in a really old house it's like you worry about mice kind of old house (laughs) so Mm, mom would be like is there licorice in your room and I was always so jealous of Claudia that she could keep peanut M&Ms under her pillow and nobody ever noticed right yeah (laughs) there's a certain amount of wish fulfillment in some of the things that the girls do and what they get away with and you just think okay so there's a lot of relatability and it's grounded in real world stakes and yet at the same time there is that fantasy element where the girls get out of every scrape without any kind of lingering issues in a lot of cases yeah the the text progress enough so that the girls do experience major changes so like dawn will eventually decide to move back to california she wants to be with her dad christy will eventually develop an actual relationship with watson that's positive like there are transitions and changes that happen through the series but mm-hmm. oh mimi i have bad news for you about mimi what's that mimi eventually passes away does she okay because i did feel like that was one of the through lines that didn't work for me particularly in the tv show maybe we should transition over to that shortly but i found the depiction of a person recovering from a stroke to be incredibly unconvincing and problematic for people who might be experiencing something like that in their real lives i was like this is too hopeful i'm sorry it's too hopeful and it's too fast in the series yeah so we lose mimi in book called claudia and the sad goodbye which is actually fairly early on like by the time i started reading the books the book where mimi passes away has already happened okay yeah so 89 so three years into the run book number 26 Claudia loses Mimi. And so I think that too adds a lot of complexity to Claudia's character. She's the first. Marianne's mom has died, but Marianne's mom dies when she's very young. Yeah. Uh, She doesn't have any memories of that. So Claudia is the first of the girls to go through a tremendous sort of life-changing grief. And it's interesting because, you know, the books are so formulaic. Chapter one is this, chapter two is this, chapter three is this. Mm -hmm. But there's also so much complexity in their experiences You know, the girls go through divorces, which so many divorces for 80s and 90s, I find really interesting as a Mm. as a choice. Anna Martin seems to be trying to normalize the various kinds of experiences of divorce. Stacy's parents will eventually get divorced. Oh, because they're messed up. Oh, they're so messed up. The introductory text, like, oh, this is not an okay marriage. No, it's really not. And they get she they actually they put her in the difficult position of making her decide which parent to live with. Oh, no. Yeah, so... Very relatable stuff, then. Very relatable stuff. And complexities that I don't think had a lot of airing before the 1990s. These are really serious conversations about what divorce looks like for kids and how sometimes it sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should probably transition to the series because I could literally talk about these books all day. Yeah, I'm gathering that. Okay. <laughs> It all started at the very beginning of seventh grade. Hi, we're the Babysitter's Club. Call us if you need us. Bye. What if you could, like, make one phone call and reach a whole bunch of good sitters at the same time? Are you sure this thing actually works? The Etsy shop I bought it from said it's fully operational. Yeah, but it's 25 years old. It's iconic. (gasps) Oh, my God. Good afternoon. 
Babysitter's Club. This is Christy Thomas, president and founder speaking. Christy, I know how much you like to be in control. But Watson's gonna be a part of your family whether you like it or not. I'd rather have head lice. Again. I'm Dawn. I just moved here from LA. I'm chill, but I don't back down from a challenge. Uh-oh. Someone needs a diaper change. Toodaloo. Grounding breath. It's me, Claudia Kishi. I'm good at a lot of things. Most of all, I'm good at art. The Tootsie Roll Pop is very compelling. Thank you. We have to celebrate. Hey, guys. Watermelon gummies. <laughs> hey, I'm Stacy. I've got to get his attention. What are you going to do, pretend to drown? Do you think that would work? We need to differentiate ourselves from the competition. I can figure out the best ratio of click-throughs to investment. I'm pretty good at math. Whoa. Hi, I'm Marianne. Talking to people I don't know makes my stomach fall out of my nose. You're hilarious. People who barely know me always say that. That you are learning about yourselves and the way you want to be in the world. I know it's hard, but we're here. You are such a strong woman, Christy. Oh, and here's something interesting. So a lot of the adaptations have sucked, and this one is great. And Anna Martin actually worked as a producer on this adaptation. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Yeah, so unsurprisingly, this is developed by a lot of women. Mm Mm-hmm. And I say unsurprising because I feel like there was a lot of love and attention that went into making sure that they got this right. They really did. I love it so much. (laughs) So there is a number of different directors and writers, but there's two women in particular that seem to have taken control. So eight of the 10 episodes are directed by Lucia Aniello, Mm -hmm. and she has directed a kind of randy adult feature, not like adult feature, but like (laughs) <laughs> a film for women that is pretty frank about sex and drug use called Rough Night with Scarlett Johansson. And she worked on Broad City, right? Yeah, and she worked on Broad City, which is a very female friendship focus, but also quite profane and frank. Yeah, it's raunchy. It's just straight up raunchy. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love Broad City. Yeah, me too. And eight of the episodes were written by Rachel Schukert, and she has worked on the CW's Supergirl, as well as Glow, the female wrestling show on Netflix. And she has creator credit on the series as a whole, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So not surprising, like, both of the previous texts that these women have done are very, very focused on female relationships and putting in the hard work to examine critically what good and bad experiences look like from a female perspective. Yeah, what is really apparent to me after watching the 1995 movie version, which we're not going to talk about because Joe hasn't seen, but what doesn't work about that is it rests on three premises. One, it's literally all about boys and dating boys and how many boys we can date. Mm -hmm. Good, a story I've never heard of. Exactly. Two, the conflict is from a villainous other three girls who... In the books and in the Netflix adaptation, there's like a rival babysitter's club (laughs) that they need to stomp out, but it doesn't take over the series. Mm -hmm. In the movie, it does. In the movie, they're not even a rival babysitter's club. They're just three girls who hate the babysitter's club for some reason, never explained. And they they just try to sabotage them constantly uh, in this very sort of like, I don't know, camp film kind of thing. And the third thing is that the girls are really bad at babysitting in the movie. 
Oh, no. Like, they keep making stupid choices, and Christy's completely irresponsible, and she fails the girls over and over again. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't feel like a film that has any clear understanding of what people loved about the series. Whereas Mm -hmm. this adaptation feels like it was made by people who grew up loving the series. Okay. So my takeaway, so I've not seen the film, but I did read a recent oral history because, of course, as soon as you get a new adaptation, people love to go back and look at the old ones and talk Mm -hmm. about them. So I read an oral history about how that film came together. I was a little surprised at the caliber of the cast. Yeah. We may be 10 years from now looking and talking about how some of these actresses on Mm -hmm. the new version have become famous. So who knows? But I was very surprised that so much of the 1995 film seems to center also on Christie's relationship with her absent father. Oh, that's the other worst part, is that the absent father is the central figure. Yeah, like it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't, because it, it ends up being, I mean, the central message of the film ends up being your deadbeat dad is actually, in fact, as deadbeat as you think he is, so... So it's kind of like you invest all this time in a relationship that comes to nothing. And meanwhile, you get nothing of the friendship that actually sustains Christy in the books. Yeah, if we contrast that with the TV show, I don't know that I've seen as faithful an adaptation. It seems like these were beat for beat adaptations of the book series. Like the titles of the episodes are the titles of books All of the first big conflicts in that run of books is represented in this first season. All the girls' relationships are perfectly established. The Mm -hmm. big thing is just that they, of course, update it for diversity. So we've got a Black Marianne, we've got a Hispanic Dawn, and we've got a single queer character who pops up briefly and then disappears because, of course, it's just Stacy's friend on vacation. Right. But overall, there's a lot of warmth. There's a lot of emotionality. I definitely cried a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then it makes a very odd choice to build to an emotional climax and then have two more episodes. And I did not like that at all. It feels very much like reading. So episodes one to eight are based on books one to eight. And then uh, there's Hello Camp Moosehead part one and two. And that is very much like reading a super special. So the super specials are almost always set over summer vacation. Almost always tell you about the girls taking some sort of outlandish babysitting gig. There's one episode where they get taken on a cruise as the babysitters on a cruise. Ridiculous. (laughs) They are always ridiculous. Um, So it felt very much like the series to me. But if you're not invested in that structure, then yeah, it doesn't work super effectively well. I do want to point out when we're talking about queerness in the series, I really liked Bailey's character in episode four in Marianne Saves the Day. Mm, Okay. Because all of the kids in the series are kids who are in the books, but again, they and their problems and the things that are troubling them are updated for a 2020 context. Yes. So in the case of Marianne Saves the Day, Bailey's a trans kid. And in the book, Marianne Saves the Day, she shows her maturity and her ability to stand up for herself by dealing with a medical situation with a, a kid who's running a high fever. Mm-hmm. In this book, uh, similarly, she she takes Bailey to the hospital, but her real standout scene is in realizing that the doctors are not making any effort to actually see Bailey for who yes. she is, and they're not treating her like the person that she is, and she stands up to the doctor and nurse. And it's yeah. like, you use that kid's proper pronouns, and you actually take a look at her and treat her like the person she is, because you're not 
doing the right thing right now. And it's kind of like, oh, Marianne brings the fire. Yeah, I can already see conservatives foaming at the mouth about social justice warriors and how woke this adaptation is, but it felt incredibly on point for what the central premise of this series is. Like, it just made natural sense to me that that is where the story would go as a modernization. Yeah, I found it subtle isn't the right word because it's central to the plot of that episode, but it's not episode of the wiki about it either. Mm -hmm. It's not like, and this is the moment when Marianne transcends. It's just, it's a natural growth for her character. Yeah. You know, one of the things that the Babysitter's Club does so well as a club is that they make notes about each of their clients so that when a different babysitter goes, they already know the lay of the land. They know what the kid's allergic to. They know Mm -hmm. what dinner time is, all that kind of stuff. And so Bailey's transness becomes just a part of that knowing your clients well and doing the best job you can for them. I, I really quite loved that choice. Yeah, I thought it was great. I also want to highlight that I think the TV series makes a smart move, particularly in the episode where Dawn has to babysit the three kids with the mother who is just harried, right? So she's divorced, she's trying to find work, and she's just not as attentive as we're used to seeing mothers being. And in that episode, one of the children goes missing. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I was shocked to read it's the dad abducts the son to get payback against his wife for forgetting what days he has custody yeah it was so jarring to read that so upsetting and in the tv show they wisely just have it be that oh the dad actually always picks up the son and takes him to this practice on this day and of course it's still the mother didn't communicate it to don and that's what the big issue is but i really appreciated that it didn't go into a child abduction because that was not okay in no. the book just a light touch on the old child abduction yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, no, it's deeply problematic. <laughs> we're literally getting alarms on our phones for like missing children who have been abducted by a divorced parent. Like yeah. that is often the case. It wasn't handled with enough gravity in the book and it felt very off-putting. Agreed, 100% agreed. Do you have any sort of standout moments or characters that you really appreciated in the TV show? I know you talked about Mark Evan Jackson as Marianne's father, Richard. Yeah, much better. In fact, all the parents in this series, in fact, can we just say the parents are great? The parents are great. We talked about Love, Victor. We talked about that problem of focusing too much on the parents or allowing the parental Mm. drama to take over the show. That doesn't happen here. No. They strike a really good balance of the parents being complex human beings about Mm. whom the kids don't necessarily know everything, which is just true. (laughs) It's so true. You think that your parents are just there for you. And of course, they're actually off having their own lives and getting married and having breakups. (laughs) Yeah. But without that overtaking the narrative and without the girls being invested in a way that would be inappropriate. Yeah. I really liked that. And can we just say Alicia Silverstone as Christy's mom? She's so good. And it's not just because I have residual goodwill towards her as an actress, but I think she is perfectly cast in the show. And I have to say, I think Mark Feuerstein as Watson Brewer, her boyfriend, is Mm -hmm. also excellent. Like, he's playing a a stepdad-to-be who really wants to be beloved and isn't Mm -hmm. hitting the mark. And he's good at it, right? His just constant look of just pure bewilderment at the way Christy reacts to him. I adored him. I found him so gentle and sweet. I think these are some knockout parents just across the board. Mm-hmm. I love Dawn's mom, right? She's scattered the way she is in the books, but she's not stupid. Mm-hmm. 
she's just got a different focus and a different way of looking at the world. I don't know. I really enjoyed the parents. Really think they walked that line well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's maybe one of the issues that I had with those last two episodes is not just that we've lost the comfort of the neighborhood and moved it to a new location, but no I found And the camp Mimi, counselor sucks. I found her so broad and caricature-ish yeah. that even when they try to redeem her in the second part of that episode, I just wasn't buying it. It felt slight like to be honest those last two episodes were what i was expecting this whole series to play like and i really didn't like it no i agree with you i think that they've done a good job of capturing the camp silliness of the super specials but the problem is that it doesn't fit with the the rest of the way the series works and what Mm -hmm. is so good about the series so it's one of those examples where it's a faithful adaptation of the text and it probably hits nicely with people who have a lot of familiarity with the text millennial women (laughs) but i think that it doesn't work for the show and i hope they don't do it next season i would prefer that they didn't no because honestly when i got to the end of episode eight which is when chrissy's mom gets married it felt like a perfect synthesis of everything that the show was trying to do like encapsulated in a single episode and i really appreciated that it ended with christy so it felt like we had come full circle Mm -hmm. and then when i saw that there were two more episodes yeah it felt like a bit of a tonal disconnect I hear what you're saying. It makes total sense, but it just feels almost like we should have released those two episodes as an intermediate in between this season and next season. Yeah, that would have been a good way to do it because that's kind of how the books functioned, right? It's like you'd pick up the summer specials because you were going to You were going to camp yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It would make more sense if you let the 10 episodes mellow and then drop them as like a look super look what they're up to over the summer Mm -hmm. yeah especially because the pacing of the episode like they kind of follow the rhythm of the school year too so like there's eight episodes and basically one takes place each month Mm -hmm. temporally which is why it doesn't seem totally outlandish that the wedding happens in episode eight yes and then Camp Moosehead, you get two episodes over two weeks. So it also changes the pacing in a way that's not welcome. (laughs) Maybe I'm just like too steadfast and determined. I I need things to be consistent. (laughs) When they try to break the formula, ah, wait, chapter three, what's happened in chapter three? (laughs) I think that's the problem, right? Because the books are formulaic in a good way. Like they're formulaic in a way that feels like comfort food. And Mm -hmm. the series nails that for episodes one to eight. And then it's almost like it doesn't know what it wants to do with itself for nine and 10. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. So when did you cry, Joe? I know you cried during the series. When did you cry? I definitely cried when Kirsty caught up with her mom at the <gasps> end of the wedding. Yeah. I think it really captured that special intimacy that mothers and daughters can have. It's not something that I obviously share, but I do have a very close relationship with my mom. I just really felt strongly like the two... Sophie Grace, who plays Christy, and then Alicia Silverstone just have that really good chemistry in mm-hmm. this one particular scene, especially. But I thought it was really powerful that, you know, we, of course, get this moment where it seems like her mom is going to go off and leave her and she's left her behind for this new rich family. And then the moment that she comes back and she says, you were the most important thing to me, like, it's the kind of thing that every child wants to hear so badly from yep. the parent that they love welling up a little bit just thinking about it the moment I know, she stops right? the car it's, so it's good. just really effective yeah it's good 
I also definitely welled up when Marianne stands up for Bailey at the hospital. Yes, that was the other moment. And the darkest moment of this entire series is when Mimi is recovering from her Mm -hmm. stroke and she begins to speak Japanese. And Claudia has that moment where she talks about the internment camp. And it does play a little bit like, hey, children of the world, you should know about this important historical moment and this dark stain in American history. But I think it's also a great moment between an older sister and a younger sister who don't connect well. No. And it's playing that vital role. God, there's this, there's a great, Janine has such a good line in there when they're looking through the box and Claudia says, I can't believe they used to do that. And Janine says, I can't believe they still do. And I was just like, that got me. That really got me. That's a knife to the heart right there. Totally. Yeah. No, I definitely was on the verge of tears there. May have Mm -hmm. actually cried. It's really well done. The series invests deeply in the girls. Mm -hmm. And so we care about them because we know a great deal about them. I just think it works so well. I was so happy. I was so worried it was going to suck, Joe. I was so, (laughs) so worried. Because, you know, these books... They don't feel contemporary, right? They feel like classic comfort food. Mm -hmm. And I want the generation of girls who find the books because they found this TV series to to get it, you know? And I think that they will. Like, I think the TV series sets you up to read these books and enjoy them. At least I hope it does. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt that. So I was reading and watching at the same time because I spaced it out because it's 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. And the care and the dedication that went into the TV show is so indicative of the reverence for the books, but not in a bad way like we've seen in some of these other texts. I found the transition going back and forth between the two of them very easy. The books are so accessible in that nostalgic way, but I think the TV show is only gently updating them so Mm -hmm. that they feel more modern. And as a result, you can easily go back and read the book second and get everything that you still need, even though, yeah, they're set in the late 80s and early 90s. I was definitely scared it was going to be a gritty reboot. (laughs) I was really scared. The dark and gritty reboot of Babysitters. Christy gets addicted to crack. Right? (laughs) It's emotional enough without that. And I think that the problems that the girls have... And the struggles in their relationships are all so real, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Christy struggles with the idea of a stepdad. And Stacy has to manage a disease that's actually really complicated. And her parents are no help at all. No, <laughs> absolutely useless. Right? And Marianne is pushing against a dad who thinks he knows what's best, but really just can't let go of his wife who died. Like, these are really honest, emotional stories mm-hmm. that don't need jazzing up you know they don't need the riverdale treatment they They don't don't. need the riverdale treatment and god was i ever scared (laughs) i mean i think we should have realized that we were going to be okay with this because they cast actresses who are age appropriate that's the best part it's the best part because in the 1995 version they age up about half of them so like stacy and claudia are aged up right marianne and christy often feel like babies when they're yeah. up against the glamour and the sophistication and the worldliness of Stacy and Claudia. And that's a constant tension in the books. But right. when you actually then cast actors who are like five years older, mm-hmm. it becomes really just weird that they're all hanging out. Yeah, so that was a struggle for me. And the same is true in the 1990s series. The girls are all teenagers. There's right. something very charming about actually seeing preteen girls going through preteen struggles. I really liked it. 
Yeah, and and we should probably acknowledge that the acting ability varies a little bit, it's and rangy. sometimes the girls are better in it's some scenes rangy. than others. Yeah, and that's okay. I think it's acceptable because of everything else that's working in yeah. the show, and yeah. we can't expect everybody to be a perfectly natural little actor. Totally. That's why it's so dismissive. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, it's mostly working. <laughs> it is mostly working. Like, the critics are loving it. It's, like, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.8 for the critics, 88 out of 100 on Metacritic. People are really connecting with the show, and I'm so happy. Like, I really want... I mean, don't worry. We're going to get a second season, guaranteed. 100%. Yes, that makes me excited. I really hope they don't do the Netflix second season thing where they feel the need to like ramp up the drams. I hope they realize what they've got and I hope they realize why it's successful. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The original TV series was, oh my God, 30 years ago. <laughs> don't think of it that way. The original series came out in 1990. And let me just tell you, the first episode is mm-hmm. Marianne and the Brunettes. Marianne is devastated when someone tries to steal Logan from her goodness right episode three stacy's big break stacy is asked to become a model but finds it's a lot harder than she expected what is this beverly hills 902 that's exactly it yeah it's babysitters club gets the hbo treatment (laughs) and uh i had all the home videos they came out in like those 30 minute vhs tapes you used to be able to get but i just it never captured the spirit the girls were too old so the friendships were sidelined to you know dating narratives Mm mm-hmm and what are you going to do after graduation kind of narratives. Right. Very traditional teen fair. Exactly. It was so nice to see Netflix resist that and really try to capture the spirit of the books and do such a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they nailed it. I really do. I do too. I loved it. Shall we uh, play some YA bingo? On yeah, this? let's play some YA bingo. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. So what have you got? Oh, righty. Well, got some dead parents. Oh, yes. (laughs) Got some rich people problems. Just a few, yeah. Watson Brewer, especially, like, (laughs) you don't want that wedding dress? Just have a different wedding dress? Let's just do it. Who cares? And actually, I really love watching, especially, like, in the adaptation, I love watching Christy's mom try to negotiate this class difference between the two families. Yeah, I hope if we get a second season, we see a little bit more of it because it really comes out mostly in that eighth episode, but it does feel just a little too expedited. Yeah, because it's important in the books, right? It's one of the things she thinks about a lot is how the families are going to blend. So I'd like to see more of that and and what Mm -hmm. the blending looks like. Yeah. So got dead parents, rich people problems, other things? Mediocre white boys for that Logan Bruno. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mary Ann, what are you thinking? Honestly, she's obsessed with him for the whole series. I actually had a giant crush on him as a kid because he's the only boy in the books. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Um, I'm not sure. What else? What would you add, Joe? Okay, so I have a little bit of abuse that's mostly coming in the form of some of the parents and the kids that we see. In the books? Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. Fair, fair. We've got stunt casting. Oh, of course we have stunt casting. God, she's so good, Joe. (laughs) Makes me so happy. (laughs) I did put in some unlikely friendships because I get the impression that Stacy and Christy would not be friends if not for Claudia. I think that's a really fair point, yes. I think we would have more growing apart if... And there is some 
growing mm. apart. But the club is really this glue that connects them together. I always kind of wanted that. That was my thing. I was like, what if I could find a club? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I put in a little bit of activism for Dawn's piece in oh, of course. the ninth and 10th episodes. At That's Brooklyn. right. I forgot about that. I put in sexual awakening for Stacy and the lifeguard. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's so bad. It's quite terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the question is, do we consider that random boy that Marianne meets in that same episode where they go on the vacation babysitting and the one boy just randomly goes, I like boys. And you're like, wait, what? Where (laughs) did that come from? I think we should include him because that's everything we don't like about the use of queer secondary characters, right? On a trope level. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So let's include that. Well, in that case, we have a bingo. Oh, yeah, we do a bingo. Under the eye. Under the eye. Rich people problems, mediocre white boys, queer secondary characters, and sexual awakening. There we go. All right. (laughs) How often the mediocre white boys align with the sexual awakening? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Girls have better tastes. Joe, this was a total joy. Thank you for doing this. (laughs) Ah, It ended up being my pleasure. I really enjoyed this week. Oh, so good. And also just like perfect pandemic programming, can I just say? Right, yeah. Escapist AF. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, um, shall we look ahead? You do the social stuff. We do the social stuff. (laughs) Year and a half in. Oh, Joe, imagine how much less fun this would be for you if I was a professional. (laughs) If you want to talk to me about how much you love the Babysitter's Club, and not at all if you didn't, you can find me (laughs) at Bretta C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Joe, where do they find you? If you want to trash talk Logan, you can reach me (laughs) at BeStoleMyRemote, and that's the letter B. And if you want to talk to both of us about how Alicia Silverstone is a gift who never stops giving, you can find us both at hashtag HKHSpod on the Twitters. And of course, if you've got anything longer or some pitches for mini-sode ideas, or you just want to share, if you were also a small friendless girl sitting under a tree reading Babysitter's Club books, (laughs) I want to know. So you can find us at HKHSpod at gmail.com. So, Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. We've got kind of an interesting mini-sode coming up next, do we not? Yes, we do, Brenna. So in addition to answering those questions, I'm also making you watch a movie. You are. (laughs) We're going to look at The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I don't know anything about. Yeah, so folks, this is the 10th year anniversary of this Disney film. It stars Nicolas Cage and Canadian Jay Baruchel. And we thought it would be an interesting example of another boy-centric YA fantasy and we'll we'll see we may watch a little bit of Fantasia we may read the original poem that it's based off from the 1800s 1797 1797 I think I meant to say 18th century (laughs) yeah you almost got it I like Jay Baruchel so I'm figuring how bad can it be can it be really Uh, bad it's extremely bad yeah okay Okay, good to know. Um, And then if you're getting your hold list ready for the next book on deck, we're going to be looking at The Sun is Also a Star, Nicolay Yoon, 2016, and the film adaptation from 2019. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, we had a couple of people who specifically wanted us to cover this, and I'm excited because I want to read another Nicolay Yoon book because we didn't love everything, everything. 
didn't love everything everything and i remember very much loving the sun is also a star so i'm hoping that that is still true okay well i'm excited cool well until next time joe i will see you on the page and i will see you on the screen (laughs) bye-bye Oh, <laughs>